It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCW in Sitka. Today is Monday, November 29th. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. One new coronavirus case was reported in Sitka on Friday, according to data from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. It's the sixth case reported in Sitka in the last seven days. The slightly slowing case rate brings the community's alert level back down to substantial after shifting into high just before the Thanksgiving holiday. This means the city is not currently mandating masks in public indoor spaces. The local mask ordinance is tied to the community alert level and only in effect when the alert level is high. Since the start of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 1,230 coronavirus cases, 24 hospitalizations, and 5 deaths. 76% of Sitkins have received at least one dose of the vaccine, and 71% are considered fully vaccinated. Statewide, the alert level remained high on Friday with 625 new cases reported midweek. Federal environmental investigators will be in Sitka this week to examine the cause of a recent oil spill. On November 18th, oil was discovered seeping from a crack in the seawall near the Sitka Sound Science Center. It happened when water was being pumped from a pond during routine maintenance of the center's hatchery pens. More than a week later, the source of the spill remains unknown, and state officials have backtracked from an early statement that cited the Sitka Fine Arts Camp's campus. According to a press release from the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation, no oil leaks have been observed in the area since the day after the spill was discovered, but containment boom is still being used to block any future spills. The initial DEC report said a potential source was identified uphill of the Science Center on the Sitka Fine Arts Camp campus. But in an interview with KCW, the camp's executive director, Roger Schmidt, said DEC had jumped the gun. Schmidt says the camp has been working for 10 years to clean up hazardous waste on campus and that DEC's decision to identify it as the sole source is, quote, pretty frustrating. The DEC's press release on Friday walked that back, identifying the Fine Arts Camp, Science Center, and State of Alaska as property owners in the area and potential responsible parties. According to the release, the responsible party won't be determined until investigators can find the source. In an interview with KCAW, DEC spokesperson Sarah Moore said Environmental Protection Agency employees will be in Sitka to review historic records to help identify possible sources. They'll also do a more robust assessment of the spill site. Moore said several sites could be associated with the leak, including a former power plant. The state's annual draw from the permanent fund is more than $3 billion dollars. For some lawmakers, the primary way that money should be used is clear, to pay permanent fund dividends. But some lawmakers say the fund can help settle one of the state issues that it's been debating even longer than the PFD. That's how to pay for public education. Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman reports. While state public school funding has been flat the past five years, its value has been eroded by rising prices. And some teachers have received pink slips while waiting for the legislature to pass the budget. Anchorage Democratic Representative Ivy Sponhol says the uncertainty is hurting schools. If you ask any business if unstable revenue will drive performance, they'll tell you no. Uh, The same thing is true for public education. 
sustainable funding actually helps to drive reform and outcomes and performance. Sponholz chairs the House Special Committee on Ways and Means. The committee has been considering proposals to balance the state budget in the long term, and the committee has put forward a bill that would resolve the size of both permanent fund dividends and school funding. Under the bill, a quarter of the money the state draws from the permanent fund each year would be paid in dividends. Half the money that doesn't go to dividends would pay for state education funding, and the rest would be used to support all other state services. The bill would increase state funding for schools by roughly $90 million next year. Sponholz says that will help schools dealing with rising costs. We can start to chip away at the losses that we've experienced in the buying power of our K-12 education dollars over the last few years. Over the next decade, the permanent fund is projected to grow faster than inflation. That means state education funding would be significantly higher by 2030 than it is today. The proposal drew praise from prominent advocates for public school funding. Tom Claymeyer leads the state's largest teachers union, the Alaska affiliate of the National Education Association. He says the additional money could address different needs across the state, from reducing class sizes to improving broadband access. He also says that it could increase the state's ability to attract and retain teachers and other school staff. If we get more highly qualified educators in the in those positions um, and, and reduce that uh, student-to-teacher ratio, the more one-on-one time we're going to get with students um, and the better the outcomes are going to be. The bill was introduced in the fourth special session this year. It's not yet clear if the legislature will be considering it or any similar proposal during the regular session that begins in January. It's a different approach than that advocated by most members of the Republican House Minority Caucus, who have emphasized resolving the permanent fund dividend first. McKiskey Republican Representative Ben Carpenter says he wouldn't comment on the specifics of the bill until he's had more time to analyze it. But he credited Sponholz with what he said was a, quote, outside-the-box approach to addressing the state's long-term budget issues. He says he would focus on the PFD before considering other areas, like education. I believe that Alaskans, um, the majority of them still feel that the people through the dividend should have first call on the permanent fund earnings. The regular session is scheduled to begin on January 18th in Juneau. In Anchorage, I'm Andrew Kitchenman. The Haines Sheldon Museum is showcasing a display of newly revealed Clinket formline images. The museum staff used an infrared camera to photograph traditional bentwood boxes, revealing paintings not seen in perhaps 200 years. KHNS's Corinne Smith reports. Several traditional Clinket bentwood boxes make up part of the Haines Sheldon Museum's 23,000 item collection. Handmade out of cedar wood and painted, the boxes were used for storage or traded goods, according to Museum Collections Coordinator Zachary James. These ones, I think, were probably used for regalia because they have really nice paintings on them, but they were general-purpose storage boxes, too. James is Clinkett, with ancestry in Wrangell and the Stikine Basin, as well as the Chilkat Valley. And he has an active interest in Clinkett art and heritage, especially new ways of looking at pieces from the museum's collection. It just basically looks like a black 
surface on wood and then these kind of amazing images are able to be pulled out of it. Traditional bentwood boxes come in various sizes. Large boxes stored blankets, clothing, and ceremonial items. Medium-sized boxes stored food, and small boxes held berries, sewing materials, and special treasures. Over time, the outside varnish darkened, probably from soot or grime and storage conditions, obscuring the original paintings. Some were completely hidden, others you can see a faint outline. And if you look at it from the side, you can kind of see, under certain light conditions, you can kind of see that there is a design, but... You can't really make it out very clearly. Using an infrared lens on a digital camera, James photographed the bentwood boxes, which date back to the 1800s, capturing the striking formline images below. The way it works is infrared light penetrates through the patina or the, the varnish, the yellowed varnish on the outside of the piece, and then normal light reflects off of the very outside. The infrared light penetrates through the varnish and then bounces off the pigment or off of the wood and then reflects back. And so it has the ability to, to see through the kind of grime on the outside. For James, it was an exciting reveal. It's probably the first time in a couple hundred years that these designs and these pieces of art have even been able to be appreciated or looked at. So I, f I fe felt like it was, it was good to see it again. Haines Sheldon Museum Board President Colleen Adams says James' initiative and the project is valuable for the Haines community. It's such a treasure to have these in Haines. And for Zach to um, come up with this idea to bring this artwork to life, to show people what has been underneath that for hundreds of years, um, it's amazing. So we are very fortunate to be able to to witness this. James says the newly revealed designs are significant to the larger project of recovering and protecting the Clinkett heritage of the Chilkat Valley in southeast Alaska. Constantly native art has been taken out of native hands and put in um, you know European or American institutions. I mean there's Clinkett art from this valley in Russia and in Germany and all over, you know, University of Pennsylvania, we, we have no idea what's in private hands, what was lost over the years. So every scrap of, of information about the Clinket art forms that we can draw from is important. Formline involves a complex and often subtle language of rules and motifs, and so James says the recovered images are important for local Clinket artists to study the art form. In Haines, I'm Corinne Smith. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News. <laughs> <laughs>